Welcome to Education Currents, a show designed to provide current educational news and commentary from a Christian worldview. The greatest resource any community has is its children, and by providing for them the best possible education, we are providing for ourselves and future generations. Join us as we explore the latest social and political issues surrounding education. Here are your hosts, Dr. Rose Gamblin. Welcome, welcome. I'm here with William J. Federer, and we're discussing his book, There Really is a Santa Claus, The History of St. Nicholas and Other Christmas Holiday Traditions. And we were discussing St. Nicholas specific. I think I got the Christmas tree in there uh, on our previous show. But on this show, I'd like to finish up if there's anything. Now, maybe we shouldn't tell how St. Nicholas ends because... We want our listeners to go and get the book, but is there anything that you wanted to add about St. Nicholas? Right. So we have um, Emperor Justinian. He's the one who was uh, the, the uni- united the east and west of the Roman Empire for the last time. He builds the big church called the Hagia Sophia, and he adopts Nicholas as the patron saint of the Greek Orthodox Church. Mm. And um, then uh, the uh, emperor of Russia, Vladimir the Great, he throws all the pagan gods in the Dnieper River, and he decides to embrace monotheism. And he has some Muslims come to him and tell him about Islam. And then when they say, and it says, um, the first chronicle of Russia says, uh, Vladimir listened intently when he said that, they said that paradise was filled full of virgins because he was fond of women. But then when they said that he could no longer drink alcohol, Vladimir said, we cannot have this because drink is the joy of the Russes, the Russians. Anyway, the, the Catholics go, he doesn't convert, but finally the Greek Orthodox come. And Vladimir, at the time, the, the Greek Orthodox Church, Hagia Sophia, was the biggest church in Christendom. 165 feet high, 102 foot across dome, four acres of golden mosaics. And um, then the Greeks said, look, we speak Greek. It's the language of the New Testament. We sort of have a corner on the market when it comes to Christianity. So Vladimir converts to Greek Orthodox Christianity and adopts St. Nicholas as the patron saint of Russia. That's why you have Nicholas and Nikolai and almost every city had a church named Nicholas. Uh, Then the Muslims invade. The Muslims invade Asia Minor. All seven churches mentioned in the book of Revelation are wiped out by the Muslim Turks. They would destroy churches and, and museums and libraries and artwork and graves. And as they're getting close to Myra, the Christians take the bones of their most famous saint, uh, Nicholas, and they move them over to Italy in the year 1087. And there's a pope, Urban II, who dedicates a a cathedral where they put his bones. And um, uh, Nicholas II, I'm sorry, Urban II, Urban II is the one who calls for the First Crusade. He begs these kings of Europe to send help to these Greeks that are being killed by this Muslim invasion. The year is 1087. And so we go on. Now that the St. Nicholas traditions are in Italy, they catch on. All the gift-giving is really popular, so much so that St. Francis of Assisi, sort of in protest, comes up with the nativity scene. Jesus married Joseph, donkeys in the manger, and he says, look, we need to get back to the real reason for the season. Jesus, the Son of God, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then Germany really, really liked the St. Nicholas traditions and, and you know, the whole Cologne, that huge, big, huge cathedral in Cologne. Uh, the story is that coming back from the crusade, somebody brought the, the bones of the three wise men and put them there. And, um, but so the, the Germans were really into Christmas traditions. And, uh, well, Martin Luther starts the Reformation. And by this time, 
there's not just a St. Nicholas Day. There's days for every single saint, and there's dozens of saints for every single day. <laughs> and you go into a church, and there would be all these statues and pictures and icons of all these different saints. And Martin Luther says, look, you can't even, it's hard to find Jesus. And so he basically cleans it all out and says, look, we're going to worship Christ, and all gifts come from the Christ child. And so the German pronunciation of Christ child is Chris Kindle, like mm. kinder care, kindergarten. And, um, and so uh, Chris Kringle is really Chris Kindle, which means Christ child. Anyway, um, so he moves all the gift giving from December 6th, the St. Nicholas Day, to December 25th. Now, why December 25th? Um, the church calculator uh, has a really quick and interesting story. Uh, so Zacharias is the father of John the Baptist. He is in the temple. The angel appears to him and says, your wife's going to have a, a child. You better name him John. And he doubts it. And so he's struck dumb. Well, the description of him being in the temple offering incense fits the description of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And so if it was the Day of Atonement, it would have been, been around September 25th. Mm. And so if he goes home and his wife Elizabeth conceives, um, she's visited in her six months of pregnancy by who? Mary. So, so six months after September 25th is March 25th. And so if Mary is brand new pregnant and she is visiting Elizabeth, well, what's nine months after March 25th but December 25th? And so that's the traditional church mm. calculation of the December 25th. So Martin Luther moves all the gift giving to December 25th. Now, interestingly, Eastern Europe celebrated January 6th as the holiest day, Epiphany, the three wise men coming to visit. But Western Europe celebrated uh, Christmas Day, December 25th. They couldn't decide which day was holier. So at the Consul of Tours in 567 AD, they decided to make all 12 days from December 25th, 12 days of Christmas. So the 12 days of Christmas are not 12 days leading up to Christmas. It's the 12 days between December 25th and Epiphany, January 6th. Now, they were called holy days. And over the years, holy days got pronounced holiday. And so they said, we don't want to call it Christmas. Let's just call it holiday. Well, holiday means holy day. And what are the holy days? But the days, the 12 days of Christmas, <laughs> they can't get away from it. Um, and then so Martin Luther uh, ends the saints days and uh, has the focus back on Christ. Um, but then let's look at England. And so Henry VIII brings the Reformation to England, but not because of a spiritual reason. He just wanted another wife. And the Pope wouldn't recognize his divorce. He goes on to have six wives. But anyway, he brings back, uh, he ends the saints' days, but he brings back an old Roman holiday. You have to remember, Britain was a Roman colony, right? Julius Caesar was there, Emperor you know, Constantine was there. And the Romans had a festival at the end of the year called Saturnalia. And Saturn was their god of feasting and plenty and merriment. And if you've ever saw the Christmas Carol with Charles Dickens, there's the spirit of Christmas present. He's a big fat guy with robe and wreath in his hair and goblet of wine and sort of the ho-ho happy party guy. And basically, you look at him and say, who is this guy? He sort of looks like Santa, but he sort of looks like some Greek god. Well, that was Saturn, but they Christianized him, called him Father Christmas. You couldn't call him Saint Nicholas because Saints were out. During this time in England, Christmas became sort of a Mardi Gras, partying, browsing, drinking. And if you ever, um, but uh, when you would fast 40 days before Easter, and now Mardi Gras is this lewd party in New Orleans, that's sort of what happened with, with Christmas in England under Henry VIII. It was drinking and partying and carousing. 
And so when the Puritans took over England in 1640, they outlawed Christmas. And um, anyway, uh, so the Puritans found Massachusetts at this time. And Cotton Mather, Puritan leader in Massachusetts, says, can you in your conscience think that our holy Savior is honored by mad mirth, long eating, hard drinking, lewd gaming, rude reveling, fit for a Bacchus or a Mohammedan Ramadan? They actually passed a law in New England in 1659 that anybody that was found celebrating Christmas would be fined five shillings of St. Nicholas traditions. And so that's how the St. Nicholas traditions came to America. Well, we have to take a break right now, but we'll be right back. That's not fair. Hey, take it easy, Carlos. That's easy for you to say. You didn't just get clobbered by Vernon. The biggest bully on the soccer team. He does remind me of a dump truck. Yeah, well, that dump truck just knocked me flat when the ref wasn't looking. I ought to... You ought to what? He's bigger and stronger than you. You could punch him all day long, and he just keeps eating. Face it, you're David, and he's the giant. Great, where's my sling? Carlos, I have an idea. Why don't we pray instead? Pray? Now? I'm too mad. Exactly. Didn't our teacher in Bible class tell us that praying is a good thing to do, even when we're mad? Our Bible teacher never met Vernon. Well, maybe not, but I'm sure he's run into some pretty mean people. We don't see him going around punching everybody out. So, how's praying going to help? I don't know. It's a lot safer. Besides, God can do stuff we can't. Let him deal with Vernon. Yeah, right. He'll probably try to love him and change him into a good person. And that's a bad thing? Okay, that's a good thing. I'll let God handle Vernon. But if that bully ever gets all kind and loving and tries to hug me, I'm out of here. <laughs> you never know. God can do some pretty amazing things, I hear. Look, there he goes again, knocking down more fourth graders. Looks like God's got his work cut out for him. I think he's up to it. Besides, praying is more fun than getting clobbered by a bully. Jesus wants to be our friend. He's interested in everything we do and longs to be included in our lives. He has placed in our hearts a desire to share our deepest secrets and brightest hopes with Him. This program was brought to you by the Children's Ministries Department of the General Conference of Seventh-day Adventists. Welcome back to Education Currents. Um, the, you know, the Lamb's Book of Life and the Book of Works turns into the Book of the Naughty and the Nice, and the angels turn into the elves. And so you can sort of see what started with the biblical concept is now sort of morphed. And, uh, but in Holland, to this day, they still have St. Nicholas as a bishop coming once a year riding a white horse to do his little mini-judgment. He's dressed with his mitered hat and his staff. He's a bishop. And... Um, uh, but they add to it, they say that he has with him a little helper, Zvarte Pete, Black Peter, and they tell the kids, if you're good, you get a present. If you're naughty, Zvarte Pete will put you in a gunny sack, take you back to Spain, and sell you into Muslim slavery. Wow. 
right? Muslims controlled Spain for 700 years. They enslaved over a million Europeans. There were whole Catholic orders in Europe through the Middle Ages called the Trinitarians, and they would collect alms and donations at church services to ransom your friend. So I was speaking, and I've had several Dutch people come up to me, and one of them said, yeah, um, in our neighborhood, the night before St. Nicholas visits, all the little boys would go to sleep at night with pocket knives in our pockets. I said, why is that? He goes, that's to cut ourselves out of the gunny sack in case we woke up and Zwarte P took us. I would love to have tormented my little brothers and sisters with that story. But um, so we have the story of Nicholas. The Dutch settled New Amsterdam, which becomes New York. The Dutch bring over their St. Nicholas tradition. So the first church in New Amsterdam is the St. Nicholas Dutch Reformed Church. And it grows into being the uh, largest Protestant church in North America. And I mean, it's this big, huge church. Um, But then... uh, Later, the uh, city became industrialized, and around um, you know 1949, they sold this big, beautiful church uh, to build a Sinclair Oil Company building. Mm. Uh, it's at the corner of you know 48th Street and Fifth Avenue. And um, anyway, the church moves to a different location. They call themselves the Marble Collegiate Church. And who was the pastor? Norman Vincent Peale. Mm. And who was one of the church members that went there? Donald Trump went to the Marble Collegiate Church. Norman Vincent Peale was... Anyway, so the Dutch Reformed Church was a big deal in New York. And um, uh, so in New York, New Amsterdam, the kids celebrated this visit. In New York was Washington Irving. And he wrote Rip Van Winkle, Legend of Sleepy Hollow. And he wrote Dietrich Knickerbocker's History of New York. And in, in 1809... And in it, sort of fanciful history, he talks about St. Nicholas visiting the little Dutch kids once a year, riding in his wagon over the treetops, throwing down presents to his favorites. Uh, But he describes him no longer dressed as a bishop, but in a typical Dutch outfit of long trunk hose, leather belt, stocking hat, boots, and uh, and, uh, adds a pipe in there, um, which tobacco came from the American Indians, but nevertheless, <laughs> he still calls St. Nicholas. And who else in New York? 1823, a Hebrew professor at the Anglican University. Uh, his name's Clement Moore. And he writes a poem for his children, a visit from St. Nicholas. And it, you're familiar with it. Um, it was night before Christmas, all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care in hopes that St. Nicholas would soon be there. So it's still calling him St. Nicholas. You know, with the old little driver so lively and quick, I knew in a moment it must be St. Nick. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, then it goes on to say, you know, droll little mouth, uh, drawn up like a bow, and the beard of his chin is white as snow, and um, uh, broad little face and round little belly that shook when he laughed like a bowl full of jelly, a right jolly plump old elf. I laughed when I saw him in spite of myself. So suddenly he's shrunk in size, and now he's a little elf. And, um, and he goes up the chimney and, um, so forth. So um, now we're into the middle of the 1800s. Civil War starts, and you have an illustrator named Thomas Nast, N-A-S-T. You know him because he invented the Republican elephant and the Democrat mule for his political cartoons for Harper's Weekly magazine. Well, Thomas Nast has a paint as a cover picture that he drew of St. Nicholas talking to the Union troops. Little kids are playing with toys. In the background, it says North Pole. Lo and behold, prior to this, saints came from heaven, the celestial city, that's where saints come from. 
Now it's the North Pole. This was a political jab at the South during the Civil War to say to say St. Nicholas belongs to the North. Right. Get it. <laughs> uh, then he does an illustrated copy in color. And he's the first one to color his outfit red. Prior to then, it was just fur or whatever. Um, and then we have uh, early 1900s. There's an artist named Haddon Sunblum. You know him because he designed the Quaker Oats Man, right? Mm-hmm. Aunt Jemima, the syrup. And so Haddon Sunblum is the artist's name. He does uh, a series of paintings for Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola invented mass marketing. It's the best trademark name in the world. And every year it would be a painting of St. Nicholas drinking Coke. And, um, and so now... Uh, St. Nicholas has grown in size. Now, why do we call him Santa Claus? Uh, the Dutch pronunciation of St. Nicholas is Saint Nicholas. Mm. Saint Nicholas. So say Saint Nicholas a couple times. Santa Claus, uh, Santa Claus. So Santa <laughs> Claus is basically the Dutch pronunciation of St. Nicholas. Nicholas. Mm-hmm. And so here you have St. Nicholas has grown in full size. He's a, uh, not a, no longer a right jolly plump old elf. Um, he's got rosy cheeks, ruddy complexion, and a nice, lovable, grandfatherly look. And that's the image that spread around the world. And um, so, but there really was a Bishop Nicholas who lived in Asia Minor, who loved Jesus enough to go to prison. He uh, was uh, stood for the doctrine of the, you know, the Christian doctrine and slapped areas for starting the Arian heresy. He tore, preaches against sexual immorality and Diana worship. He confronts corrupt, um, you know, politicians, and and he believes in miracles, and he's generous and gives to the poor, but he wants to do it in secret, anonymously, uh, so that God gets the glory instead of him. So just a fascinating story uh, that is important for us to understand, and we can say, yes, uh, St. Nicholas was a godly man, and he still exists, he's just in heaven, you know, but... um, the idea is that um, uh, we can try to uh, look at the good parts of his life and uh, tell the, as an example for us to be generous at this time of year. Yes. Now, in your research, and I know we only have like five minutes left of the show, it goes so fast. Uh, did, was there any particular spiritual uh, things you discovered about the 12 days of Christmas, the song? The first day after Christmas. No, that's after Christmas. The first day of Christmas, my true love gave to me a partridge in a pear tree. Right. So uh, at the time of the Reformation, um, you had uh, Protestants, you know, persecuting Catholics, Catholics persecuting Protestants. And um, the uh, you would try to teach Christian doctrine to kids, sort of like Sunday school songs. And so in 1625, there is a Sunday school song in England, and it's called The Twelve Days of Christmas. In those 12 days, in those 12 days, let's be glad for God has made all things. What is that but is one God in heaven who sits on his throne? What are they which are but two? The Old Testament, old and new. You know, what are they that are the three? You know, the, the Trinity. And it goes on through uh, the doctrine. And, um, and so the thought is that basically the 12 days of Christmas song came from this, because what was the 12 days? It was the days between December 25th and January 6th. And so this was teaching Christian doctrine. And that, so now it's turned into this, you know, on the first day of Christmas, my true love gave to me. <laughs> and, and if you look at the, um, what do you call it? Uh, the analogy 
um, my true love would be the um, uh, God himself. A partridge would be Jesus because the partridge um, is in the pear tree, which is like you know, on the, hanging on the cross. Um, and uh, the two turtle doves is the Old New Testament. Three French hens is faith, hope, and love. Four calling birds is the four gospels. Uh, five golden rings are the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Uh, six geese of laying, six days of creation. Seven swans of swimming would be the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit. Eight maids of milking, eight beatitudes. Nine ladies dancing, nine fruits of the Holy Spirit. Ten lords of leaping, ten commandments. Eleven pipers piping, eleven faithful apostles. And the twelve drummers were the twelve points of the Apostles' Creed. Um, anyway, it's a fascinating story. But in the book, I also go through things that happened on Christmas throughout history. And it's one of these fascinating dates that sort of knits together uh, Western civilization history. And if you want, I can share a couple. Well, I have time for one. <laughs> you can whet our appetite. We want we want our listeners to go to your website, AmericanMinute.com. And uh, I suppose it's also on Amazon. They can go to Amazon. It's called The History of St. Nicholas and Christmas Holiday Traditions. Well, that's the subtitle, right? The, the first title is There Really Is a Santa Claus. Yes, yes. Uh, so all the stuff that I talked about, it's in the book, There Really Is a Santa Claus, The History of St. Nicholas and Christmas Holiday Traditions by William J. Federer. It's a fascinating book. It's got great pictures in it. It's very so the thick. back of the book, I put things that happened on Christmas throughout history. So in 496 AD, the pagan uh, Franks, which is where the word French comes from, uh, the king is Clovis, and he converts and is baptized on Christmas Day with 3,000 of his soldiers in 496 AD. Uh, you know, fast forward 597 AD, there is a St. Augustine who goes to England, and he baptizes 10,000 Anglo-Saxons on Christmas Day. Uh, and then on Christmas Day in the year 800, Charlemagne is crowned Holy Roman Emperor in Rome, Italy. And then uh, you have, uh, uh, what, on Christmas Day in the year 1000, Hungary becomes Christian. Their king is Stephen. He's crowned. He's, and he's called St. Stephen, crowned on Christmas Day. There's even a Christmas carol. No, 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 Feast of Stephen. Um, and then uh, the Polish king, uh, Mizko, is um, crowned on Christmas Day in the year 1025. And then uh, 1066 AD, William the Conqueror invades England, and he's crowned as king of England in Westminster Abbey on Christmas Day in the year 1066 AD. Uh, Christopher Columbus has a ship wrecked on Haiti uh, in 1492 on Christmas Eve. So he names the settlement La Navidad. And, of course, George Washington crosses the Delaware and uh, on Christmas Day evening, 1776, and wins a great battle. And on the book, I have all these different things that happened, uh, even all the way to um, Apollo 8, 1968, on Christmas Eve. They just got done circling the moon. And looking at the earth from a distance, they read the first chapter of the Bible. Wow. And over the over the airways, uh, you know, and, the, and of course, uh, Madeline Murray O'Hare, an atheist, protested. And so NASA, after that, said, OK, guys, you can't talk religion over the microphone, so they have to turn it off. But nevertheless, it's a fascinating book that tracks not only the history of St. Nicholas and how it started from this Greek Orthodox saint into the Santa Claus, but it also traces things that happened on Christmas throughout history. So just a fascinating book. It really book. is. It really is. And Thank you so much for spending this time with us, and and I hope you have a very Merry Christmas. And I have one last thing to say, and that is God bless.
You have been listening to Education Currents, a production of MRG Media Ministries. For more on this or to contact us, go to mrgmediaministries.com. That's all one word, mrgmediaministries.com.